Thirsty? You've come to the right place to wet your whistle. It's Liquid Lifestyle with Ryan McGarrian, a full hour of liquid refreshment celebrating suds, spirits, sodas, and what people are drinking in Portland. Now, here's Ryan on FM News 101. Every Let's go ahead and drop this train on the track. So first stop off, a very happy Saturday to you, uh, where you're tuned in for the maiden voyage of the Liquid Lifestyle, which is a new show based right here in the great Disneyland of deliciousness that is Portland, Oregon, that's dedicated to content and interviews developed to help all of you imbibers maximize each of every one of your future potent potable beverage experiences. So uh, I'm your host, Ryan McGarrian, and I'm super stoked to have one of the world's top bartenders joining us to, uh, to get this bad boy off the ground. But before we get to that, I'd like to take this opportunity to share a little bit about my background with all of you. And uh, let's see, uh, I'm a bartender, uh, as well as uh, the co-proprietor of both Oven and Shaker and Hamlet, both grubbing and uh, watering holes here in Portland's Pearl District. And I'm also the co-founder of Aviation American Gin, which is also produced here in P-Town at uh, House Spirits Distillery. All right, so to get things going, I want to go ahead and really just come clean uh, from the very beginning and tell you that I got into this line of work, not at all to become a beverage professional, actually, uh, but for three rather, well, ignoble reasons. Um, To meet girls, of course, to put myself in close proximity to free booze, and of course, nurse uh, my early young adult uh, need for attention and meaning. Anyway, folks, the truth is that I couldn't have dreamed up a gig better suited for my hedonistic ambitions than that as a Club Med barman. Actually make that uh, a Club Med Cancun Singles Village barman. <laughs> All right, so I'm pretty sure you might be able to paint a pretty detailed, if not gnarly, picture for yourselves of what that was like, so I won't bother you with the gruesome details, but I will say that it was everything that an aimless 22-year-old could have possibly dreamed of, and, well, quite a bit more. Uh, So much more, in fact, that I got to the point that I just couldn't bear to look at myself in the mirror anymore, and after a year of massive moral degradation, I really decided that I had had enough. So I bandaged up my wounded liver and tied my greasy long hair back into a ponytail and headed back home to P-Town with a smile on my face and, honestly, a deep appreciation for what it meant to be a bartender. I mean, think about it. In the course of less than 10 minutes, us folks behind the bar might be a host, we might be a servant. Uh, a lot of times, if you've been to a busy bar, you'd notice that we're athletes, uh, philosophers, psychologists, sometimes we're matchmakers, and occasionally we're chefs, uh, though I didn't quite understand this part when I got back to Portland. Now, uh, I really thought when I arrived home, I was going to move on to what I considered more obvious career choices, such as perhaps real estate or even law, and it's good that I didn't because back then I had no attention span and The idea of reading all those books uh, and getting a law degree would have been absolutely impossible. But uh, I ended up falling right back into the world of bartending, uh, most notably at a restaurant many of you probably know called Oba, where instead of finding a bar manager sorting out the bar operations and creating the signature drinks, there stood this very passionate and talented chef. Uh, Actually, it's Chef Kathy Casey from Seattle, Washington, a primary mentor and friend of mine. And I have to tell you that at first, I didn't quite know what to make of a chef developing a bar program. but After a few hours of, you know, really absorbing her rare energy along with the barrage of some of the most delicious drinks that I'd ever had, something clicked. Why not hire someone with an immense talent and passion for melding flavors? Seriously, why not hire a chef to create signature cocktails and further, and probably more importantly, develop your bar operations as a whole? After all, as I see it, mixing drinks is little more than just liquid cooking. Just think about it. You blend spirits with fresh raw ingredients and through a change in temperature and dilution, create an entirely new, 
and hopefully delicious flavor experience. experiences. Well, in the following years, I ended up moving to Seattle to help evolve the beverage consulting platform with this chef, and it was during this time where I found myself working both behind the bar and in a kitchen environment that something became crystal clear to me, something that really is my mantra, and it's uh, that when you apply the same joy, passion, and principles of freshness, precision, and seasonality to making your drinks, much in the same way a chef does his or her solid creations, the result will no longer be value in the simple delivery of alcohol, but in the creation of truly memorable and occasionally life-changing culinary experiences. Only these experiences, of course, are going to be served in a glass and not a plate. And folks, honestly, it's this realization that made me or has made me the passionate barman that I am today. And it's a realization that will definitely inform the direction uh, of this show in the coming weeks and months. And, uh, and with that, I just want to dive right in. I've got an incredible opportunity to, uh, to host one of the great bartenders, not only in America, not only in Portland, obviously, but in the world. And, uh, and that's Jeffrey Morgenthaler. Welcome, Jeffrey. Hey, buddy. What's happening, my man? Not much. Dude, so just to set a little uh, stage for everybody about uh, what, uh, what, you're, what, you're kinda, what you've been doing for the past 20 years is this guy is into his 20th year behind the bar. Uh, he looks great, as all bartenders generally do after 20 years. Uh, he is the bar manager at Clyde Common at the Ace Hotel, which has won award after award and well-deserved. He is also the bar manager of Pepe Lamoco, which is a, a discreet bar. I'm not even going to call it a speakeasy. I'm going to say it's kind of a hidden discreet bar. It's a really awesome experience. And if that wasn't enough, dude has just launched a bar book uh, called The Bar Book yep. uh, that's just about into, a th- into its fourth printing. So, man... I'd just love to, you know, we t- I read a lot about you, but I want to just hear about your background. How did you get into all this, my man? Well, it's funny because I got into this pretty much the exact same way you did uh, to meet girls um, <laughs> and, and make money. Those were the only two things that I cared about. I, I was getting my degree in interior architecture at the University of Oregon. And I needed, go Ducks? Yeah, go Ducks. I needed a summer job, and uh, I got two, I applied for two jobs and got them both on the same day. I got a job tending bar at the Tiny Tavern, which was uh, just a beer beer bar over on the uh, other side of the tracks and uh, washing dishes at a restaurant. And I pretty much flipped a coin um, and took the bartending job pretty much because I thought I would get to meet some girls. And little did I know that there were no girls at this bar. Uh-oh. It was just all old men. Oh, that's, yeah. Oh, that's challenging. It was pretty rough. That is rough. Um, and Especially was, when you're what? You're probably 22 at I that age? 24. 24, man. Yeah. So all I wanted to do was meet girls. Yeah. But I met up a bunch of old salty sea dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, great name for a dive bar, by the way. Sea dogs. Yeah. yeah. That's I'm your sure next one. A few dude. of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I was terrible at it too. I was a terrible bartender. I was working the day shift and, uh, and I couldn't have been, uh, you know, less talented and, and I was just pouring beer. Um, I didn't really like it. Uh, I wasn't very good at it and I was planning on going back to school in the, in the fall. And, uh, eventually over the course of that summer, I actually became kind of good at it. <laughs> and sort of started to like it. Um, I still wasn't meeting any girls, but I was making money and I was kind of having fun. And uh, they asked me when the fall came if I would stay and pick up nights. And so through the rest of my tenure at college, I, uh, I worked nights behind the bar and went to school during the day. And it was a blast. I worked so, there for four years. Tiny's Tavern for four years. Tiny Tavern for four years, yeah. Wow. So yeah. Um, now after Tiny's Tavern, I think I remember that you were working at a, was it a like a Latin concept or what was your next step? Um, well, after I, Tiny's, I worked at a bunch of clubs. I worked at a VFW Hall that was open to the public. Oh, dude, yeah, yeah the vets, the, the vets, vets club, club, dude. Yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I worked at a gay bar. I worked at you know just any 
you know, kind of crappy, uh, you know, pump them, pump them and dump them, yeah. you know, uh, cocktails. Alcohol uh, delivery units. Yeah, but I got my first uh, start in a, in a kind of fancy place uh, at Marche. They had a, a Pan-Asian restaurant uh, in the same building in the Fifth Street Market. Okay. And uh, that's where I started learning about technique and ingredients and recipes and all this kind of stuff. And that's where I first, that's where I remember hearing about you is uh, I remember that people were talking about this bartender in Eugene had, you know, great presence, lots of gravitas, and was, you know, really interested in kind of the culinary perspective of mixing drinks. Uh, so at Marche, is that where you, is that, so you're well known for having one of the most populated or most read blogs in all of the cocktail blogosphere. Is that where you began to kind of? That's where I started uh, writing this blog. And it was really just a way to uh, kind of share our recipes with the people that came into the bar. I wanted to make them accessible. You okay. know, people asked, how can I make this at home? And I just said, go to my website. Okay. Um, and it kind of grew out of that, you know, my, my desire to share. Okay. You know, which has kind of driven the career. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I've noticed about you since the very beginning is you've been extraordinarily generous. I mean, one can go onto your blog and learn just about everything one would ever need to know about craft cocktails. Can uh, What's the website? Is it still up, my man? It's JeffreyMorgenthaler.com. Okay. Yeah, it's a tough one to spell, but if you type in everything you know about me into Google, you'll find it. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I mean, anybody listening that wants to learn a, a ton about classic cocktails uh, in craft cocktails. You can't do better than jeffreymorgenthaler.com. We're going to step away real quick. We'll be right back with more of Jeffrey Morgenthaler here on KXL. It's time for another round of the Liquid Lifestyle. Here's your radio bartender, Ryan McGarrian, on FM News 101 KXL. Again, it is a beautiful Saturday here in Portland, Oregon, and you are with the Liquid Lifestyle. And uh, again, today's guest is Jeffrey Morgenthaler, one of the world's most respected and relevant bartenders. He's based, again, right here in Portland, Oregon, bartending at Clyde Common and Pepe Lamoco. And we've had the opportunity in the last segment to just begin to learn a little bit about how he has made uh, his way forward uh, in the bar industry. And uh, we talked about some of his early uh, bartending in Eugene and, and then his um, the beginnings of his famous blog, www.jeffreymorgenthaler.com, which in my opinion, really launched him to worldwide fame. So we were talking about that blog. You were at Marche in Eugene. And let's just kind of fast forward to when you began to look at moving here to Portland to uh, take over the bar at Clyde Common. You know, I had uh, no desire to move to Portland. I was perfectly happy in Eugene. Uh, I was running bars. I was uh, hoping to own my own bar. You know, I had a lot of friends. All my friends lived there. I, I was perfectly happy in Eugene. And uh, Nate Tilden, the owner of, of Clyde Common, yeah. reached out to me and said, um, you know, would you like to come up and interview for the bar manager position? And I said, well, sure. You know, I can't, you can't turn that down, right, when, when Nate calls. And, um, and I came up and got offered the job, and I moved here uh, January 2nd, 2009. I've been running the, the program ever since. Uh, it's, it's been six years. That's gone really fast. Very fast, and, very fast. Uh, and you took over. I remember, interestingly enough, I actually walked in the very first day that uh, they were just testing things out at Clyde Common back when 
Matthew Piazzatini was in town, oh, yeah. the original partner. I think he's actually still a partner. Still the, partner. That he's, but he lives in New York and runs great co- cocktail bars there. There's been a whole bunch of great bartenders that have uh, gone through there, especially, most notably, before you, Kevin Ludwig. Um, mm-hmm. How was that taking over from one kind of notable, very kind of, you know, detailed bartender and moving into kind of creating your own culture? Well, it's really tough. I mean, especially being the guy that moves up from the small college town to the big city, you know, to one of the cities, you know, most loved, you know, restaurants um, already, you know, it had only been open for a year and a half and you walk in, you know, this kid from Eugene, Oregon, you start telling everybody that everything's going to be different. And uh, there was a lot of pushback from the staff, but um, they all came around. Uh, you know, most notably, Justin Pike. Uh, mm-hmm. He now runs uh, Tasting Kitchen. Yeah, I love that at, place down yeah, in Venice. Yeah, amazing, down in uh, Venice, California. Yeah. Um, you know, we've had uh, Andrew Volk has come through, and he runs the Portland uh, Hunt and Alpine Club in Portland, Maine, you know, which was on the beard uh, yeah. domination list. You know, we've had uh, a lot of great people come through. Um, Beckley Franks most recently, she's in Hong Kong now opening a, a bar program. So it's great to, to sort of have everybody embrace those changes and go on to do great things and, and teach other bartenders, you know, and sort of pass all this information down. Doesn't that feel good to kind of feel like you've just helped create opportunities? It's kind of one of the most important things to me, for it, sure. It, no yeah. doubt. Me too. I just, it's been fun to watch all that talent go through, uh, lots of humility, um, you know, Beckley and Andrew, you know, I remember Andrew behind the bar, all so good. So, you know, I just want to kind of begin to talk about some of the things you've done recently that have been massive in kind of the <laughs> intellectual space is what I like to call it. And, you know, I, when I talk to when young bartenders come to me and ask me, how are they going to have a long term career, not only behind the bar, but maybe beyond the bar as owners, as consultants, as writers? One thing I always tell them is the key is finding and maintaining intellectual relevance. That means contributing outside of just opening a place, but continuing, co- contributing to the conversation. That's exactly so right. And that's what I tell my bartenders all the time. You know, you can, you can go out and you can win competitions and you can do this and that. But if you're not contributing to the larger um, kind of, as you say, intellectual conversation, uh, I'm not going to be super proud of you. Yeah. You know, I want you guys to get out there and, and share what you've learned with other people so that we can grow this thing. Yeah, it's a give and a take. You know, you're going to, you know, by doing that, you're obviously going to have a nice lifestyle, be able to take care of the ones you love, but you're also going to give back and create a better craft in general. And Absolutely. I think the thing that ever, I mean, this is like, this is the thing that everybody knows about with regards to you, and that is your barrel-aged cocktails. And before you <laughs> start talking about how you came up with that and kind of maybe walking us through how one would do that, I'm never going to forget uh, about three years ago, rolling into a bar in Jakarta, Indonesia. <laughs> and, you know, I am looking at the menu. They have barrel-aged cocktails. And I said, you know, we started talking. They also had aviation gin. We started talking. And I said, yeah, I'm from Portland, Oregon. And they go, Jeffrey Morgenthaler. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm in Jakarta, the the big durian, they call it. Because if you know what a durian smells yeah, like, yeah. sadly, that's what that town smells yeah. like. But that's the power of that um, of that uh, thing that you've done with Barrel Age Cocktails. Tell me about crazy. it, man. Where'd it come from? Oh, my God. So I was in London uh, doing some work, and I went to a bar called, uh, well, it doesn't have a name. It's Tony Canigliaro's Bar. Love that place. 69 Colebrook Row. Yeah. And uh, I think I posted on like Facebook or something that I was there. And our friend Philip Duff mm. from New York, uh, I think, real boring time, chap. Yeah, 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 real dry. Um, I think he was in Amsterdam at the time. Still, he yeah. texted me and said, "Be sure to ask Tony for the aged Manhattan." Okay. And so Tony produced uh, a Manhattan that had been aged in a glass bottle. Now you know as well as I do that that spirits don't age particularly uh, rapidly or or you know uh, much in a glass bottle. Right. Uh, and I tried it, and it was it was good. 
you know, didn't taste much different than a Manhattan to me. Um, but I got to thinking about it on the plane ride home, and I thought, what if you put that in a barrel? And I remember I had just taken over the bar at Clyde Common, and um, I said to my boss, I'm going to take a whole bunch of product, and I'm going to put it in an oak barrel, and then we're going to take it out and see how it tastes. And he's looking at me like, if this thing goes wrong, you're going back to Eugene. (laughs) (laughs) On a rail. Yeah, totally. And we pulled it out. It was beautiful. And we, um, he liked it so much that he got online. We ordered like six barrels. What size barrels were these? Um, the first one was a gallon, uh, that I'd been seasoning with Madeira wine. Okay. Uh, but then we got on uh, Tuttletown spirits website and we ordered some of their, um, old used bourbon barrels that they can't use again, as you know. Okay. Um, they were selling them pretty cheap. Now they, they're not even available. Everybody's been buying up Tuttletown barrels that they're, okay. they're actually, you can't get them anymore, uh, which is kind of funny. And but, have you continued, do you update your, have you tried many different seasonings? You know, you started with Madeira. Are you playing a lot with that kind of space? Definitely. We, uh, we currently have a French oak barrel, a really large one that was gifted to us, um, that we've been seasoning in Madeira, but we also like to play with, um, what was in the barrel before, uh, the previous cocktail. So it would be a Manhattan in a Negroni aged bourbon barrel. Oh, that's you know bizarre world, man. Yeah. Yeah. So many layers. Oh dude, that's so It's cool. really fun, man. So what have you, so why Madeira? Uh, I just really like the way that fortified wine interacts with, with cocktails. You know, I like adding that little bit of layer of flavor and, uh, I just like Madeira, yeah, you and- know, it's just got that sherry kind of finish to it. Yeah, for sure. And for those who don't know, Madeira is the small island, strangely, of all the places in the world I've actually been there and you can drive around <laughs> in like two hours, but they're famous for a beautiful oxidized uh, exactly. fortified wine that uh, can travel and really can lie. I've got a 1973 at home for my birth year, but yep. uh, we are going to jump out here in just a moment, but uh, we'll see you in a sec. More with Ryan talking liquid lifestyle on a Northwest Lifestyle Weekend on FM News 101. Welcome back to the Liquid Lifestyle. It is a spectacular Saturday here in Portland, Oregon. You're with us on 101.1 KXL, and we have Jeffrey Morgenthaler, famous bartender, outstanding uh, serviceman, uh, sitting with us here in studio. And, uh, you know, we've been going through his past and learning about how he kind of ascended to the point that he has within the industry and we left off in the last segment about uh, talking about his barrel-aged cocktails, kind of, I think, the, the thing that he has become most known for in the industry. And uh, I want to touch back on that. Uh, Jeffrey, what, which barrel-aged cocktails, have, in your opinion, have been the biggest hits? You know, I, it, this all probably wouldn't even exist if it weren't for that barrel-aged Negroni. I mean, it's just the perfect drink to put into a barrel, you know. Um, just adding any kind of bourbon flavor to a Negroni in the first place is beautiful. Right. But then oxidizing that vermouth, getting those wood notes in it. I huh. mean, it's the, the barrelage Negroni has just gone insane. And for our imbibing listeners who don't know what a Negroni is, would you just walk us through that cocktail real quick? Equal parts uh, gin, sweet vermouth, and Campari. It's probably the easiest cocktail in the world to make. Yeah. I and mean, you, could, you could build it in a glass and stir it with a chopstick <laughs> and put, a, put an orange on top. Yeah, and it's been really exciting seeing, you know, in the last five years, I've just seen that cocktail, at least from my perspective, explode. Oh, we just had Negroni week here in Portland a That's couple insane, weeks ago. Right? Yeah, it's completely insane. It's, uh, it's just so cool to see the, the American palate, even the general imbibing American palate, uh, be able to tolerate that kind of intense, strong 
bitter style of drink in yeah. a way they haven't in the past five years. So yeah. to me, more than anything, it's drinks like the Negroni and the old fashioned that have just showed how far we've, we've come in the last You can actually years. get a good one in, in so many more bars than you could before. We are here again with Jeffrey Morgenthaler, uh, Portland bartender on the Liquid Lifestyle. And, uh, you know, you've also kind of made a name for yourself with bottled cocktails. I'd love you to touch on that uh, real quick about this kind of carbonating, serving, popping a bottle right there at your seat, at your table. You know, we're so busy at Clyde Common that I'm, I'm constantly searching for ways to kind of speed things up. And that was one of the things that I thought was fun, somewhat innovative. And we can also get a drink in your hand, you know, within seconds if you order it. Um, the style of drink that I really like the most is this kind of, I call them European cafe cocktails. Yeah. They, they're typically, uh, a bitter component, some sort of wine component, and then a, a sparkling component. So if you look at the, uh, bicicletta, you know, or the bicyclette from France, that would be, uh, Campari, dry white wine and soda water. If you look at. Will you say that again, Jeffrey? Bicyclette. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Jeffrey with a French Study, accent. Studied a lot of French. <laughs> well done. Um, if you look at the Americano in Italy, um, sweet vermouth, um, Campari, and sparkling wine, if you, or sparkling water, if you look at the uh, uh, Negroni Sabaleato, mm. uh, you, you sub in the um, you sub in Prosecco for the for the sparkling water. So I really like this style of cocktail. They're light, they're low in alcohol, and they don't have any spoilable ingredients. Right. So they're perfect for carbonating because mm. they have a sparkling component. And they will last for a long time in a bottle. They'll last pretty much forever in a bottle. Right. So it's just kind of the perfect thing for, you know, we have a very kind of European-driven food program at Clyde Common. Right. It just goes perfectly with the food, perfectly with the program, and it's really easy on the bartenders to get that drink in your hand. And it's been super popular. Awesome. What's, uh, do you offer a variety of them, or do you just stick with we have, one? At- we have two on it at all times. We've got a, uh, you know, we've got kind of a house recipe one called a broken bike, and okay. then we've got, we've got an Americano. Is that a take um, you know, on the bicyclette? Yeah, exactly, on the bicyclette. Uh, so much better. Chinar, dry white wine, and, and uh, carbonated water. And for those who don't know, Chinar is a, an Italian bitters uh, that uh, is actually flavored uniquely with artichoke. And I recently did a horizontal of what we call Amaro's or mm-hmm. bitter liqueurs from Italy. And I had never picked up the artichoke in Chinar until I actually lined it up and tasted it against a whole bunch of Amaro's where I, instead of, basically it gave me a context to get the artichoke that I had never yeah. before and it jumped out. I was just like, it was you like get that vegetal earthy. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. Chocolatey. Yeah, dark, yeah, you yeah. just yanked that out of, <laughs> out, of, out of my pie hole, man. It was just like, yeah, dark chocolate and artichoke. What else do you want? Right. In a bitter liqueur. Yeah. So, uh, so that's, yeah. So there you go. You got the barrel aged cocktails. You got the carbonated, uh, soda pop and, uh, actually carbonated, uh, um, cafe style highballs, I should say. Now we got to get on to your book, man. I mean, this thing has been uh, really uh, well-received, and that's an understatement. Uh, like Thanks. I said, you, you've told me that you're moving in your fourth printing. Um, you know, I, one of the things I've liked about it is, you know, you can. I like that your voice is in it. Sometimes people write and you don't hear them. I think Dave Wandrich, our friend who's written in Vibe and Punch, has done a great job. And I hear your voice in the way you write, obviously, in your blog and your book. But, uh, you know, tell me a little bit about your, you know, tell me a little bit about the book and, and what your hopes for this book were are. Well, this really goes back to my kind of philosophy is that there are three things in equal proportions that make a great cocktail. Oh, I can't wait to hear this. One would be um, the recipe that you start with. So there are a million daiquiri recipes out Correct. there, right? You know, the, the one that you choose to, to start making your drink with is going to be very, very important. Okay. Um, the second thing, as, as you know better than anybody, is the ingredients that you select. Yep. So the, the type of rum that you're going to use in your daiquiri, are you going to use canned lime juice 
frozen pasteurized lime juice? Are you going to use fresh lime juice? Are you going to use roses lime juice, et cetera, et cetera? Right. Uh, so the ingre- you know, what kind of sugar are you going to use in your daiquiri? So the ingredients are, you know, that's, that's another third of the puzzle. But the thing that nobody really talks about that I wanted to speak about is uh, the technique oh, you employ. Sure. You know, I mean, you can, you can have a great recipe and you can have great ingredients, but if you don't have proper technique making that drink, it's not going to look good, it's not going to feel good, and it's probably not going to taste good. So I wanted to write the first book out there about proper cocktail technique and how we as professionals do everything that we do, how we work with ice, how we squeeze citrus, how we make sugar syrups, how we shake, how we strain, how we garnish, um, everything from the very beginning to the very end of the process. Again, we are with Jeffrey Morgenthaler here on The Liquid Lifestyle. And uh, Jeffrey, you know what? I'm, I'm always thinking about getting information to young bartenders and young um, service industry professionals. I'd love to hear about, you know, how did that, how did the opportunity come about? Did somebody just, you know, as you, your, as your relevance and as your abilities grew, did people kind of hunt you down and say, we, we want you to write a book? Or did you actually go for an agent, write a proposal? I mean, how did that happen? No, they actually kind of hunted me down. I mean, I, I never really wanted to write a book. I don't like writing. Um, which is funny because I write uh, partially for a living. I write for Playboy mm-hmm. and I write for uh, Food Republic. Of course you write for Playboy. Yeah, I write for Playboy. You know, and I wrote this book, but I actually hate writing. Okay. Um, I just like sharing information. I like getting everything out of my head and into the hands of people that, that want it. Right. And so when they offered me, they came after me and offered me this book deal, I couldn't turn it down. No. Because it's the ultimate in sharing with um, the public, whether it's, consumers or people behind the bar or just, you know, folks at home that just want to make a great cocktail. I mean, it's the dream come true, right? For someone like you who wants to disseminate information, get stuff out there. I mean, somebody wants to like, you know, throw you on a page and send you around the world. That's just absolutely insane. Totally. Um, Have you, so you've been going on book tours. I mean, that's pretty, I mean, like, dude, you were, you know, like, uh, like me, we were just kind of slinging drinks here like 10, 15 years ago and you're flying around the world and and talking about, you know, technique is, so where, where have you been? Oh God. Um, you know, many of the major cities in the U.S. I just got back uh, in October. I was in Berlin speaking at the bar convent, which you've probably been to, right? Yep. Yeah. Spoke to about 400 German bartenders. Yes. About cocktail technique. Dude, German bartender. That, I tell you what, Berlin is such a fantastic scene, huh? It's the greatest. Yeah. It's really the greatest. And I'm so privileged that I get to travel around the world. Yeah. You know, not as much as you do, but like I still get to go to London and Paris and, and Berlin and, and places and see what they're doing so that I can basically steal it and bring it back home. Well done. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, you know, I was fortunate to consult and travel a lot before, but I think you travel quite a bit more than me right now. Oh, and it's God, it's fun, but it's exhausting, right? It's really exhausting. I'm actually done for the year. I'm going to go back to Germany in October, but I'm done. I'm home. I just bought a house. It's beautiful. I'm, I'm actually like working in the garden, okay. which is insane. Well done. <laughs> do you find gardening to be just a do you, do you lose yourself in it? Is that, you know, a lot no, of bar- not at all. I hate it. Yeah. I hate about it as much as I hate writing, but I like, so you having, should write a book about gardening, about book about gardening. Yeah. yeah. I like having a book that's out there and written and I like having plants that are planted and growing and doing well. I don't like the process to get there, but I like the end results. Yeah. And it's worth it. That's <laughs> it's what it comes down completely. to is it's totally worth it. Do you have any plans to, to do another book perhaps and, and put yourself through that all over again? I've got, it's funny, you know, after I got done with this book, I was like, I'm never going to do that Ever. again. That was the worst experience of my life. And then now I'm like, yeah, I, I kind of have this other idea that I would like to do. So I'm starting to work on that. Do you see yourself perhaps, I mean, as crazy as it is, you don't really enjoy writing as you say. I mean, is this something you could go on and on doing just because of the gratification uh, that it gives you and this ability to kind of disseminate? I mean, 
could we, I mean, is it foreseeable that we could see five or 10 Morgenthaler books 15 years from now? Possibly, yeah. I mean, I love getting this stuff out there uh, and helping people so much that I, I will probably continue writing books and writing columns and writing articles and writing blog posts just to, I got a lot of stuff in my brain, man. Yeah, a lot of, there's a lot up out. in your dome, yeah, man. Yeah, I got to get it out. <laughs> we are so fortunate to have Jeffrey Morgenthaler here joining us on 101.1 KXL in the liquid lifestyle. And uh, coming up, we are going to talk to Jeffrey about uh, the trends he's seeing in the industry. And then we're going to wrap things up with some of uh, his tips on how to ensure that uh, you can make great drinks at home. Jeffrey, do you make drinks at home? All the time. Yeah. All the time. Yeah, yeah. Love it. It's it's a lot of fun, right? It, Even it really when is. we do it all the time, it's like it's kind of nice to put our own talent to work for ourselves, Definitely. right? Yeah. I just don't like cleaning up the mess. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you. Suds, spirits, sodas. That's what Ryan's talking about with the Liquid Lifestyle on FM News 101 KXL. What up? We are back in, uh, we're back at Liquid Lifestyle here with Jeffrey Morgenthaler here on 101.1 KXL. And we've just had a great time learning about kind of what it takes to kind of grow from a bartender in Eugene to becoming one of the most relevant and talented bartenders uh, in the known universe, so to speak. Uh And uh, we've, uh, it's been cool talking about the barrel aged cocktails and kind of learning what was behind that because that's become such a kind of huge component of your success and talking about your new book, The Bar Book which you can find online or at Pals or anywhere. And now I want to take the last few minutes to just, what do, what do you, where do you, what are some trends you're seeing and what do you hope, what do you hope the industry looks like five years from now, specifically with regards to cocktails and cocktail service? Anything you want to see? You know, it's, uh, it's, it's hard to sort of pinpoint and say, I want to see this become popular. I want this, you know, to be right. this drink to be popular or sure. whatnot or this type of bar. I think that in the bigger picture, what, what we all want to see, what you want to see and what I want to see is just more better bars. Yeah. You know, we lived for so long through so many crappy bars that we want to be able to walk into any bar, a bar at the airport and get a decent old fashioned. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be the best? Amazing. Or your, your neighborhood tavern. I mean, I don't think that every place in America needs to have like a super aggressive cocktail program, No, but it would be nice to get a decent drink at the, at the place down the street or even a chain restaurant or whatever, you know? Yeah. I mean, to me, it'd just be great if we get to a point where you could get the 10 cannon Classic, so to speak. Yeah. Where you could just, you know, where it became like de rigueur in American bar culture to that every bartender who steps behind the stick to, to be able to knock out an old fashioned, totally. you know, ably to knock out a gin martini or a, a gin sour daiquiri. And uh, I, I have to tell you, like, I remember having these conversations with my one of my other mentors, Robert Hess, and about 15 years ago. And, you know, like, it seemed like that wasn't even going to become re- remotely possible. But I tell you what, like, I'm so optimistic. Just well, about what's happening. We've both done a lot of work to make that happen. Yeah, you know, I mean, which is pretty exciting. It, to it, see it pay off. It has been uh, super exciting. Um, man, I want to. I just want to ask you. I mean, what are some tips? You know, for the home enthusiast. Yeah. I don't think. Um, I think all, all the bartenders that have your book can probably read your book. But what are some simple things with regards to? Uh, you know, like, are there any specific like base? Are there a baseline five, six, seven, eight bottles every home bar should have at least in your opinion? Or you know, yeah. I get I get this question a lot, like what bottles should should you have in your home bar? And and my answer is always, uh, whatever you like, really. I mean, if you know, I could I could sit here and say that you need to have a bottle of vodka, you need to have a bottle of gin, you need to have a bottle of of scotch. But if you don't like scotch, why bother buying it for your home bar? You know, <laughs> I mean, if all you want to drink is gin, well, or nobody doesn't like tequila, scotch, so everybody's right? gonna have to have that. <laughs> nobody nobody in their right mind doesn't like scotch. Yeah. But the, you know, um, you know, so I I say get the basics, you know. And I always tell people, learn one drink. 
have one drink be your signature drink that you make at home, a drink that you like and that you like making for your friends. So when they come over, they know that they're going to have a margarita or they're going to have a daiquiri and you're going to make a daiquiri and you're going to make the daiquiri over and over and over again until it's the best daiquiri you've ever had in your life. You're going to tweak it and you're going to adjust it. When people come over for a barbecue, they're going to have a daiquiri and then maybe move on to something else. Maybe in the wintertime, you know, fall and winter, it's an old fashioned, learn how to make an old fashioned. So your friends come over, you make an old fashioned, you do it over and over and over again. But I think just rushing out and buying, you know, a thousand dollars worth of uh, alcohol and a bunch of bar tools is, is sort of putting the cart for, in front of the horse. And that is the revenue prevention program with regards to yeah. personal <laughs> finance, isn't it? Uh, it's interesting. Actually, it's funny. People, bartenders, people in our industry who have been around for a while give almost exactly that same advice. My friend, again, I mentioned Robert Hess. His thing was make a cocktail a week yeah. where like, you know, this is Manhattan week. So you buy three or four different whiskeys, two or three different vermouths. And you invite your friends over, you hang out with your spouse, your girlfriend, yeah. boyfriend, whatever. And you just, you know, spend two or three hours finding your Manhattan. Yeah. And then you log it. You get a little book. You log that in. Totally. And then the next week, like you said, it's your daiquiri. And totally. over a year, you have 52 drinks in your wheelhouse. And you also have a home bar that you know how to use. Yeah. Because you haven't purchased anything, you know, silly or right. not useful. Yeah. But, uh you know, uh, a few little light tips, uh, ice, uh, any, any tips on making sure that, you know, I always say ice is like the stove or the oven, the cooking mechanism of a great cocktail. It's, it's our, it's our fire. Indeed. Uh, bartender's fire. For home um, people. You know, what I do is, uh, I take some filtered water and I pour it into those silicone ice cube trays and freeze them. And then I store them in, in a large, like sort of Tupperware container until I'm ready to use them. You know, okay. to keep them from developing any funky flavors. It's really not. Overly complicated. There's a lot of people that want to tell you that ice is somehow magical and mystical and that you need to follow a bunch of rules. But get some clean water, put it in a tray, yeah. freeze it, and, you know, it's frozen water. Frozen water. And you know what? Fresh ingredients. Is this Absolutely. a must? A okay. must. Absolutely a must. Even for the home bartender. It's so easy to go down to QFC and, and grab some of that, like, bright yellow Sour stuff. Mix. No, <laughs> it's, it's, way, it's actually a lot easier to grab a lemon and a lime, I think, than it is to purchase a big thing of stupid, sticky sour mix. Oh, man. And yeah, sour, sour day. mix is going to give you a headache. Most people think it's the booze giving you a headache. I tell it's you what. Sugar. It is absolutely, unequivocally <laughs> the, chemicals. the sugar. <laughs> sugar and chemicals equal uh, a bad headache the bad next headache. day. And uh, man, Jeffrey, dude, you're my maiden guest. Uh, I'm so grateful that you took the time. I know how busy you are. Show, Thank man. you, man. It's I'm awesome. excited to really have this. Awesome. It's going to be fun. And yeah. uh, you can find Jeffrey down at Clyde Common and Pepe Lamoco. His book is The Bar Book. You can find it everywhere with regards to places you buy said literature. And uh, we hope to uh, have you back next week. Thanks, Thanks. Jeffrey. Thanks.